Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks Burl, 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 Burl Ivinson Burl Ivinson Burl Ivinson Directed by Directed by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Co-directed by Burl Iverson. Bill Iverson. Bill Iverson. <laughs> Old Dick Iverson. Oh, uh, good Dick Dick Dickerson. Dick <laughs> Dick Dickerson. You know, and <laughs> who doesn't love a classic, classic. feel-good Dick Dickerson flick? I know it's like I no just, one flicks flicks like Dick Dickerson. Oh my god, I just I feel so warm inside. Every time his name comes up on a title card, oh my god, this is a Dick Dickerson movie? Yeah, I know. It's like you see the Touchstone logo, yeah, and you're like, and wow, like, that takes me true. back. And then they're like, a film by Dick, Dick Dickerson, Dickerson, and you're like, oh my god, oh, oh here we go, Laugh Riot. And oh my gosh, it's like... And a, then it's Schindler's List 2, right. Vietnam, A Green Hell. It's <laughs> Long subtitles, but they're always funny. But they're always funny. Always <laughs> funny. And at the end of the movie, when Robin Williams is like, I wish I could have just saved one more. Right, and he's, just one more. Just, just one more. more. And then he does the weird voice, and he looks down, and he's. <laughs> it begins already. What are we doing, Max? We're doing a podcast. I are should we? probably bring us in. Introduce us. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring Flicks, the name of the podcast that we're currently doing right now. I am Carl Hartley. I'm Max Peterson. Awesome. You. You did so well last week with your enunciation and did your I? like conciseness. Oh. Yeah, because you said you'd read back and you're like, get the marbles. Oh, I can't. It's just like, get the marbles. Not out of your anymore mouth. now, though. You're right back. <laughs> Am I back in the marble land? Rambling Shit. marble land. I love it, though. Good. That's me. Um, so this week we are covered. We just started a new month. We are into mm-hmm. uh, Robin Williams month. And, you know, I got to say, I was expect. I was fully expecting this this month, this whole month to yeah. just be like. <laughs> to hurt a lot, yeah. And you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna say that I didn't cry watching this movie, but it's it's a good. It was a good cry, and it was a like a feel good type of. Which movie is that? This movie, which we are <laughs> watching, is Schindler's List Two. No, it's a uh, Good Morning Vietnam, 1988, directed by Barry Levinson, starring. I didn't think I cared about the whole cast, and then as the movie progressed, I wrote down like, who plays this? Yes. Who plays this? Because everyone is so. Good in this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Robin Williams plays Adrian Cronauer. Do you read any, uh, anything about the real guy? Yeah. Wow, he seems like a real uh, a real treat, a treat of a human. I actually watched an interview with him where he went on the radio <laughs> like a couple of years ago. Where they had him on as a special guest with like the USO or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, "That's a he's a real interesting cat." Like, yeah, he. My impression of him was he is more of a. Less, even though he is Adrian Cronauer, right. he seems less of a Cronauer and more of a hawk. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Um, anyway, uh, Forrest Whitaker is mm-hmm. in this, and I'm not a Forrest Whitaker fan. He's good in this. Yeah, he's really good. He's he's very um, just natural. You very likable, which is you don't get with him a lot. No, there's one big Whitaker moment where he's like too angry, being a dick, and he's too angry. Yeah, like when when Whitaker goes angry, you're just like. I don't think anyone's really that angry. <laughs> it's like he seems he seems exceptionally angry for the fact that he put the toilet paper on upside down. Right. It's like the toilet paper doesn't go that way. The roll goes the other way. And you're like, mm, mm, does it? Maybe we take that one, one more time. Right. One more. You, Back it up. Your eyes going too crazy. <laughs> Forrest, can he actually see Whitaker? Shit. 
I don't know. I shouldn't I, make fun of a person's. Things, he's he's but. he's good in like. Have you ever seen the Crying Game? Uh, yeah, a long he's time. He's fucking ago. killer mm-hmm. in the Crying Game. He's well, so he, good. Jim in Jarmusch in and had him in in uh, Ghost, Ghost Dog. Dog. He's awesome in Ghost mm-hmm. Dog, and I really like him in this. I. Yeah. It's weird though because outside of those flicks, when I see him in stuff, like I liked him in Saw Guerrero. Three in, movies. In Guerrero. Guerrero. What? Rogue One. Rogue One. Rogue One. I, I didn't. Uh. I didn't. I was like. Look, it's Forrest Whitaker, a bunch <laughs> of pointless armor. Why are we doing He's this? He's wearing a bunch of weird shit and breathing kind of like Darth Vader. Yeah. I'm like, is he, what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> I like, like Bruno Kirby always, I always forget about him. He plays Hawk. This. And the best part of Lieutenant Hawk is that he is so not funny that he's hilarious. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And I think that really that's where the actual characters, well, the other DJs like Dan the Man Levitan and uh, the guy from Batman, I can never remember his name, the other disc jockey. Right. Um, hey, I'm funny. I know funny. You're not funny. That guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> ask anybody. Ask, anybody. ask me. Ask You're me. not funny. <laughs> You're not funny. But, um, <laughs> but those, are, those are all really fun, fleshed out characters. And the, I feel like the other military people, mm-hmm. like the... Uh, the sergeant major and the colonel. Sergeant major played by J.T. Walsh. Yeah, and he's always sort of that. His performance in this is so so good. I was because obviously when I when we start the movies, I write down what I mm-hmm. feel are the pertinent information. Right. But when I started watching him, he and Robin Williams acting together in this in a scene is like watching a master class which is crazy because jt walsh i I kind of vaguely recognize his face from stuff yeah he's always sort of playing like that either military guy or the guy in charge he's always sort of very stern like you don't fuck with this guy he knows his shit so and is in charge of your life yeah and i had no real idea Uh, like watching him i'm like oh okay so he's I I regret to say I came into this movie being like this movie is going to be Robin Williams and the and the rest and the rest but it, it w- is, is not. not at all no. everyone is is slaying in this flick it's really really good um so right off the bat we joked mm-hmm. about it in the cold open which I don't know how much of that will survive but um honestly seeing the Touchstone Pictures logo. At the beginning of a movie, it immediately brings that whole. Sen- it's like the Miramax logo. <laughs> it's exactly. This came it. out in 1988. 1988, yes. right? So that's when Touchstone was like they'd already done Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Like mm-hmm. they had established themselves for a couple of years as a studio, right? Because Touchstone is a Disney company, and everyone was like, Disney can't make actual movies. This is horseshit. And then Fast Down and Out in Beverly Hills came out, and like everyone loves Richard Dreyfus, and it's a dirty movie, and it's like. Fuck. And you're like, I think that's what you're, anyway, but then they started making all these really, really good, solid, not only comedies, but the, the dramedies mm-hmm. kind of like this, where it's based on historical stuff. Right. But it's, it's like the heartwarming comedies that have this, that are a time capsule at the same time. Right. Like a, um, a, a film that is like a record, like a, yeah, a, a record or a touchstone yeah. for a historical mm-hmm. period. And of course, touchstone is, is a character in As You Like It. It's a Shakespeare reference. Mm-hmm. So, which I was, the, I didn't realize that until later. I didn't realize that until yeah. you just said it just <clears> now. <throat> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, we since you brought it up, I was going to talk about it a little bit later in reference to a particular portion of the film, but you said dramedy like this. Mm-hmm. Well, AFI 
the American Film Institute has ranked this as one of the hundred funniest American films ever made. Mm-hmm. It's listed everywhere that I look for it as a comedy. Yeah, it's in the. It um, calls itself a comedy. Barry Levinson refers to it as a comedy. Right, and it? I have a I have the five hundred and one movies you must see before you die, yeah. and it's under the comedy section. I've only ever seen this listed or referred to as a comedy, but watching this movie. Do we think that this is a straight comedy? Because I think I don't in 1988 think so. we were just 20, just about 20 years removed from the Vietnam War, okay, the conflict, right? right. So <clears throat> I think that because when I watched this movie the first time was in 88 or 89 with my dad. He's a Vietnam vet, mm. and he like truly enjoyed the movie and got a lot of humor and laughter out of it. It was almost cathartic for right. him because you don't see a whole lot of violence. You do when when Jimmy's restaurant blows up, and then of course you have that scene with. With um, it's what a, a wonderful, wonderful world. world. With that's the, one of the most haunting montages yeah, I've ever seen. It's it's disturbing, but overall, I think it was a little bit of catharsis and levity brought to that situation. Mm-hmm. And and for my dad, who is you know was in Vietnam, it's like he he came away from watching Good Morning Vietnam with a sense of of sort of release in a way because you're seeing the, that world through. Cronauer's eyes through Robin Williams' eyes more than Adrian Cronauer, really. Right. They said that the because Cronauer wrote the original screenplay, and he says the movie that was filmed was about forty five. Forty five percent, right? Yeah. Because he was more about the misinformation about being being edited in his interviews out in the field, being like right and the red red markered all over the fucking place, right? And the so. the screenplay basically Robin Williams realized that the the on air like the, that the radio disc jockey character would be a perfect outlet for his the style of comedy he his was doing style. at the time right yes. so the script once Rehe- he it was like rehearsed improvisation right well if you've ever listened to his early comedy albums like around the Mork and Mindy era up until like mm-hmm. his early 2000s stuff he has that r- rapid fire it feels like stream of consciousness but you get the sense that he's got what he's got in his head is a giant bag that he can grab from yes and he's his 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 mastery is grabbing the right stuff in the right order and then throw like because there are bits in here where he's improving yes where something kind of doesn't fall it doesn't work but then he, he tags up it. on yes. something else that's kind of semi-related like yeah. a second later and that's hilarious yeah. it's like the fastest it's like watching somebody drive on a road they've never been on before but they have like Jedi reflexes. Right, but they're the best driver you've ever... They're exactly. David Lynch's director of photography or whatever, like yeah. feather in the break. Feather in the... Oh my God, you watch him feather the clutch on a joke right. where he's like, he takes a wrong turn and you're like, he's, he's well, that's going to crash. Gonna go off the cliff. But then like a road appears. Just, yeah. <laughs> or he just clips the guardrail enough to feather him back onto the and road. And that's Robin Williams. it's beautiful to watch. It's Because yeah. that's... That is, uh, I looked up a little bit of trivia mm-hmm. on uh, imd.com. Imdb.com. I think it's. It's an. I think it might be an acronym. IMDb. Mm, I, I doubt it. I think. I don't think so either. I think it's no one does that anymore. No acronyms are. Although the, this has the best acronym joke oh, I've ever VP. seen. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing the VP is such a VIP. Should we get PC on the QT? Because the leaks in the VC could end up in MIA. We all be put out in KP. Yeah. That one. <laughs> and yes, it's fucking hysterical because Robin Williams delivers it without a Com- hint of a of a smirk. Not sarcastically at all. And also, I, I it's there's no way it's improv. That's it's got to be scripted. That one's and written, yeah. Also, but that is amazing writing because it's acronym humor, but every acronym is one that I would say most people know. Yes. So it's total. It's a totally accessible joke that exists 
squarely in the military world. And the setup for it is brilliant, too, because they're busting Hawk's balls like he always calls the vice president the VP. He always yeah. calls the press conference the PC. And Hawk is saying, a killer straight man in this. Oh, my God. He's the, fantastic. He has one of that's the, why this is a comedy. It's all those moments. But, little pockets of time capsule. Because mm-hmm. you always go... Most of this movie... Most of it, like 90%, except for the two side plots, which is him falling in love with the girl and then him falling in, like, not in love, but in friendship with the girl's brother. Right. He ends up teaching an English class. So that, there's that. But most of the movie, we go from him in the studio. And while they're playing these mashups of, of great 50s and 60s music. Right. Because you don't get a lot of this is one thing that I realized going back is it's not like a Tarantino soundtrack where you get to hold on to these songs for a long period of time. They're literally like they're DJing you. They're like we've get we're giving you 30 seconds of the Beach Boys and then we're going to give you 50 15 seconds of Martha and the Vandrellas and then we're going to give you 28 seconds of Motown. So you get those clips rapid firing at you of this right. while you are seeing these essentially a moving photographs of Vietnam. Like those it's just all soldiers in action but not doing anything for the most they're all waiting for the action to happen they're they're polishing their big guns they're they're lounging shirtless like sun tanning themselves waiting because this was at the very beginning of the vietnam conflict you Mm -hmm. actually see that like fifteen thousand troops in the beginning and then they order more but right so most of the movie is i can hear the buzzing of your phone uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) but it goes from his you go from those moments where it's like a Robin Williams is is guiding us through um, like a visual time capsule and and a music time capsule of that particular time in Vietnam, and we're enjoying it. And there's a nostalgia for me. I was not alive in Vietnam, <laughs> but the way that those scenes are shot and the music, you understand it. You start to like feel like what it must have felt like to be there. The way that um, uh, you talked earlier about. Um uh, David Lynch yeah, and how David Lynch was saying that the way he was making films especially Eraserhead was to capture the feel of a place rather than like a plot or whatever mm-hmm. this definitely has a plot but I feel it does. like the plot is more the, the, the it's subplots right but I think the way that we I think the the I don't want to call it a conceit but the right. way that that DJ conceit where we get music of the time and we get shown there are movies that show the horrors of war. Right. This movie does that in a couple of instances, but I think what this movie does more is shows like the doldrums mm-hmm. of war. And we stay out of the jungle. I mean, except well, for the, the except part for the, of the brief end. thing with the jeep, we're almost entirely on a base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a lot of it's about like the the politics of a of a wartime radio station, which right. is really strange but weirdly compelling. Yeah. What I you mentioned earlier, um, like like photographs of Vietnam. There is some st- whoever I should have written it down, but whoever mm-hmm. the director of photography is on this, this is one of the most incredibly shot, especially the aerial photography that's done. Oh, the rice paddies or the this was mostly shot in Thailand and like Bangkok and shit. Too. Yeah, they barely even went into so the the countryside looks very similar. Right, clearly I mean, it's Southeast Asia, right? Mm-hmm. So. Like, oh my God, those aerial shots, dude. I, I wrote down uh, one of my notes from later in the movie when they get, um, 
when they get picked up when uh, after the jeep is crashed and they get picked up from the you know and robin williams is in forced whitaker doing their like little bits of physical right. comedy but they're in a bombed out burning village it's all burning behind them yeah so they're like he's doing like the the watusi and he's like come on yeah. guys but behind them you see the devastation of this area that they shouldn't be it's in. still burning and smoldering so right. not a lot of time has passed this movie since blends, that violence happened it blends horror in as though the horror isn't important mm-hmm. which makes it more horrifying right but i think that might be our lens too though because like watching this movie in 2018 that is the other it's crazy i'm seeing this movie through a completely different filter right we're we're watching at the time, the Vietnam conflict, the Vietnam situation, right. as it's referred to a couple times in here. And what if it escalated? Yeah. We're what not going to escalate an entire war just so we can get Bob Hope here. <laughs> That's bleak. That's really bleak shit. But it like, really is. But watching this movie through the lens of we have now, where we live now, you and I have mm-hmm. lived through the longest war in the United States history. Yes. So we are now involved in a war that has surpassed the Vietnam War in length. Yes. And that was a long ass war, mm-hmm. but we've been in a, the they what are they it's called they they're calling it the endless war now in Afghanistan. We've been there for 17 years. So we're watching this movie now and because we've been at war so long, we got that like war fatigue where you yeah. stop caring yeah. about the, you Which know, Which is horrible, but it's it the thing that happens. Well, you can only like you're it's they they call it like the limit of empathy or something like that there's only so much a human being can empathize with before it's like a burnout in a way yeah you start to burn out on empathy so your body is like you're self-preserving right right so that you don't um i don't want to segue too far but like the the mind the mindfulness guy the the guy who came up with the concept of mindfulness Mm -hmm. like always staying in the moment and avoiding like emotional burnout by like remaining connected he killed himself like four years after he came up with that concept and he, yeah. So think. I mean, there's a reason that we we can't connect to atrocity for, for super prolonged periods of time. So, but what that's meant for us now is when we turn on CNN and we see the mother of all bombs blowing up, mm-hmm. like, or the phosphorus bombings, or the phosphorus show. bombings, or we see, you know, like I remember when like the the you know like people are always they'll you you can see people on their phones watching like ISIS videos and they're like oh that's fucked up they just killed that journalist but like that's where we are now so mm-hmm. watching good morning viet or uh, good morning vietnam and seeing robin williams dancing with a burning village behind him or hearing what a wonderful world and seeing children get executed yeah. in a building and robin williams picking up a dead soldier and moving his body out of the puddled road right so we can't leave him here like yeah but and he's like this one's gone sir but like the the whole the, the whole thing for me is the movie then gives you a joke and moves right on mm-hmm. back into the comedy space which is where we all are now with our with our empathetic burnout where yeah. we see horror on the television and then we switch over to Rachel Ray's cooking show and then we pop over right. to Comedy Central to watch Joe Rogan's new stand-up special but we just saw like a street full of dead children or like the gas attacks in Syria where you see it and you're like oh my god that's horrible oh Ari Shafir has a new thing and on now, Netflix yeah now Jim Gaffigan has a new special on oh did you see the 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 newest comedians in cars with coffee it's like crazy <sighs> how hard this movie resonated in its it felt like a commentary on yeah. dismissing. I what the, I the what I love war. about this movie is how simple it is. Mm-hmm. At first, because this I grew up with this movie. This is probably the I'd never thirtieth time that I've seen this. This movie. is my first time watching. So it. this is this is a little bit of history of 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 me with this movie. Sure. 
Um, is, this is one of those movies that my sister and I caught on like NBC or CBS and, and recorded it off a of television. We had right. a tape with this Willow and Tom Hanks is big on it. <laughs> and this was the middle movie. Okay. It was big. Then Good Morning Vietnam and then Willow. So we would always be able we get through big no problem and then we'd always keep watching into Good Morning Vietnam and we make like two thirds of the way through the movie and then once like Jimmy's explodes we're like okay the funny parts are over now we would turn it off right. <laughs> but it was so like so I have this huge amount of nostalgia for this movie. It's like the soundtrack. I I knew every single one of Adrian of 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 Cronauer's rants by heart. I would, I would I would say them on the that was in middle school. I would say them between classes, like running up and down the stairs. I would go, "Good morning, Vietnam. This is not a test. This is rock and roll. Time to rock it from the Delta to the DMZ." Is that means that sound like an Elvis Presley? I'm like, do the whole freaking thing. Right. People think I'm crazy. I'm like, <laughs> it's Good Morning Vietnam. I'm like, what the fuck? You're like 12 years old. Why are you watching? Good None morning of us have Vietnam? seen that yet. <laughs> and it's the edited version. Calm down. It was on NBC. Right. But like. There was I would play DJ like I would watch this movie and then I would go on my dad's record player and I would get out his 45s I create a set list and I would become like Adrian Cronauer I would make up my own comedy and talk to the wall and just pretend and mm. and spin records and shit and this and watching this again as soon as he flicks on that switch and puts the headphones on I was right back there again dude I'm like I want to be a fucking DJ I want to be Adrian Cronauer I want to wear the pressed white shirt and get up at 5:30 it does it this movie does that to me and I think a lot of it's like the movie is very simple it really doesn't have there's not like there's a couple of subplots and it's showing you Vietnam and it's giving you the music of the era and it's touching on those um, like censorship for a need, you don't want to give away troop movements and shit, but they're also over-censoring and they're not giving true information, right. which rings very true now. But I just love the simplicity of the story of DJ comes from from Crete, where he was yeah, before. Where all the women look like because Z- where it was Zorba. Zorba. <laughs> and then they're going to bring him in here because we need to, to, to liven up these lads that are about to go into a conflict and he's just too much for this radio station, so you get that back and forth. right? And then it's just showing you like, it's the war before it became the war. Mm. It, it This movie has a bit of a mash feel to it. It has a big mash feel. It's just like the mash for the Vietnam era, where that was the Korean War, right. right? And this is like... I always remember the big thing about mash is like the, you know, they have... The men in the field have a certain way of doing things yes. that works because they're on the ground and they know what works and they know what they need. And then there's always the... The, there, it's a funny subplot with like serious overtones where the brass shows up and tries to change shit and there's right. pushback and that's what this feels like. That's what this like. feels like, yeah. It's like that's that same kind of thing. I have a movie too that uh, like a DJ experience mm-hmm. where you watch the movie and you're like, well, I guess I have to be a DJ now. Right. But it was Lords of Salem, Rob Zombie's movie, because I was like, oh, they just sit in the dark and drink beer and play like the most obscure and horrible music Amazing. you've ever heard. And I'm like, that's because that was you. You're running around doing like Cronauer bits, and I was like wearing black and ch- mm-hmm. chokers and stuff in I high school. It. So I was like, yeah, I could just play drone music, and people would have to listen. Listen to it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so I had on a serious note. Yeah, yeah. About this movie and about the changing nature of comedy in in a way, because this this movie when I watched it, because I'm a lot younger than you, so I grew up with like Adam Sandler comedies. There's when not I was a lot like, of laugh out loud, right? It's not like 
There were a lot of Gut moments busting, where but some of it is. Yeah, a lot of it's really funny, and there's a lot of really clever humor. Mm-hmm. But like the the comedies I grew up with were like Superbad and Adam Sandler, and you know like the Hangover movies mm-hmm. hit for me. So I what I wrote down. I like paused the movie and wrote for a little second. The, the, it occurred to me when he's when he first sees um, I can't remember her name. Uh, da, 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 da. What's the girl's name? Do you remember? Oh, sh- you know I don't. Uh, it's Trin. Trin. I right. should know that. It's my dog's name. But um, oh, good point. So when he first starts chasing Trin on the bicycle, and Forrest, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker Forrest, doesn't have tires he has left, t- no tires on his bike, and it's <laughs> slipping and falling. It's that is hilarious. Yes. But at the same time, again, let me take it right back to mm-hmm. the director of photography. Um, like the low angle shots. I think your data is creating some. Oh, I'm sorry. Interference. Um, the low angle shots of the bike. The, that is shot when we see Robin Williams it's just a standard panning shot but when we cut to Forrest Whitaker we're using a different set of like cinematic tools the cinematography of the scenes when we're on Forrest Whitaker is the way that you shoot an action scene it's it's low angle it's all hand cam uh, we get like narrow we use uh, the the cinematography is using forced perspective to make cars look closer to him than they actually are and eventually that's that's how they make it look like the truck almost hits him but the idea is that he's narrowly avoiding being killed the whole time he's riding and the way that it's scored and the pacing it's comedic but it's not funny it's scary right like when i was watching that you know like I, i've i've been i watch a lot of movies like garlic now. is gonna die uh, right and i used to i used to review films based on their cinematography for a, a website and so i'm watching this scene and i'm watching how it's cut and shot and i'm like they're intentionally creating real fear right here like this isn't just like Oh, garlic slipping into truck. Oh my gosh, he don't have tires on his car. Right, the way the the pulse of that scene is like, and it's also it's a Robin Williams movie, and those don't always end really funny. No, they don't. So it's you know actually a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. Like Bicentennial Man is occasionally funny, but then at the end you were just sobbing into into your shirt. Yeah, toys. Another Barry Levinson movie. Yeah, like so when you're watching this thing and the masterful way it's shot it's the robin williams bit where it's not just the way that that's shot the robin williams cuts are not shot to be like oh he's chasing down this vietnamese girl how funny it's he's oblivious to the danger his friend is in in. and then we cut back to (laughs) someone who is very nearly being killed who later tells robin williams i'm being and then of course the the jokes pull you back into the, the comedic portion of the movie but what I wrote down was, um, this movie's funny, but it's funny the way that only like pre nineteen ninety five movies are funny, which I is I can appreciate that funny. I call it funny with teeth. Mm-hmm. A lot of modern comedy, I think, tends towards laughing with a sneer or with a like a bleak sort of cynical nihilism. It's cynical, yeah. Like it, the new comedies. I think are comedies without stakes because if you think of and they're not, it's not that they're not funny no but if you think of movies like the hangover are you ever at any point worried about any of those characters not even in the not slightest. at all even when they're like hanging off the top of a fucking building or the gangsters are shooting at i never right. am truly oh my god these guys are gonna fucking die they're how do they get into the situation holy shit and even never. worse f- worse for me is 
sometimes well, in Bangkok in the second one, I'm not even like sometimes <laughs> sometimes if something were to happen to them and they were to even if they were to die, I have an example of someone dying in a someone you like dying in a comedy and it's just a joke. But like in a modern comedy, right. but like when when if they were to fall, one of them falls off a building and they die, there would be a brief little sad moment which wouldn't mean anything at all and then it would turn into a bit. It right. would turn into a gag. They would make it a Zero gag. Zero stakes because de- they would find a way to make death a joke because all of these movies have this weird nihilistic undertone where like, look, we're here for the yucks and nothing really matters. And you don't genuinely care the about Big anyone. Big Lebowski is a great example of that. Which is... Donnie has a heart attack and, and dies in the parking lot. Yeah. And it's sad. And then you... Cut you to his the, funeral and he get his ashes in I th- in his face. The example that I go to more... Well, the, I actually... I would, that's a good use of I that. Would argue that, is that it's comedy with teeth, I think. Right, in a way, because right. we do care that Donnie's dead. Yeah. I think that that is the blackest of, of humor where it's like that British thing. You know, like they're not... Like you still care about the dude. And, Fair enough, yeah. They, they give it weight and value. Because what does he do when he throws the... When, you know the, when the ashes out on when the- he throws the ashes and they hit the dude and they they have that moment where like there's anger between them but you can tell you that can the tell. anger is right. grief and I will talk about Good Morning Vietnam in a second but no it's fine but um the movie I'm thinking of is Happy Gilmore like we is what's his name Stubbs the the oh the black, Stubbs yeah, yeah <laughs> the black guy with one hand when he dies. Doesn't matter at all. No, and he's like one of the main characters throughout the whole movie. But when he dies, there's not even a touch or a pang of sadness. The only thing you're bummed out about is like, well, there's one less funny person in the movie now. Right. This movie, if anything happened to any of these people, it would be tragic. It would be tragic. Yeah. This is a movie. This is a weird comedy that has stakes. Comedies don't. Often have stakes. Anymore. Do you think it's because it is set in Vietnam, or is it sort of the whole? Because like, the 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 way the comedies were made in pre ninety ninety five. I think it's a folk. I think it's a, a a shift in focus from characters, like fleshing these characters out and making us care about these people. And the humor coming from a place of of honesty, coming from the character, like right. Rather than nowadays, maybe I think the focus has shifted to focusing on the jokes, the bits, the visual gags, whereas... Or the comedy would come just from writing funny characters. Nowadays, it's funny content. Back then, it was funny people. Capital P. I think that it's... And this was a really sad... I mean, this when I saw his first radio broadcast, I, I cried. Not because it was sad, but because it was watching comedy with heart and there's no heart in comedy i'm not no not, but like not, no, no, yeah they're like there are still in general in general the, the tone has shifted as we've moved forward and and i was wondering why that was and then i mm-hmm. had this horrible little bleak thought and i was like oh because robin williams was the heart of comedy yeah and now he's gone now he's gone i felt i i watched several um Interviews uh, like Craig Ferguson and and shows leading up to to his his death, and the man is funny, so funny. Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah, and he the, there was one. There's a Craig Ferguson interview with him that I think was only weeks before, mm-hmm. and he was genuinely funny and just so funny. But there he has in these moments in this too. There's a there's a 
stillness, a quietness, and almost a sadness about him sometimes between the heartbeats. Oh my god! I have if you're a, looking for it, if you're looking for it, it's there. I have a perfect moment for it, but go on. That's that, just that's where he's laughing. He's gut busting. He's got the veins are pu- punching through his forehead because he's laughing. When so he's hard. singing James Brown in the studio, when he's singing James Brown, but. <laughs> But then there are these moments when he just takes a minute and breathes and compose. You can you can see maybe I'm we're, I'm putting that on him because we know so. now. But I don't think so. I think that it is there, mm. and it's been there for a, a very, like a very fucking long time. Yeah, like and I, I saw it clearly in this too. There's some in the in the. Did you watch the behind the scenes at all? Like the the making of. No, I rented the, it on Vudu. So so I, there's a couple of. Uh, extended um, takes of him just improvising and trying to find his beats because he would improvise the scene and then go back and work some of the bits that were working and like cut out some of the stuff that didn't. Right. So he would have his pages and be working it. Mm-hmm. And Barry would just have him keep going. He's like, you want me to do more shit? Okay. And we just keep having going. You're almost there. Find it, find it, find it. Right. And so he would have these moments where he would be laughing to himself because he found shit funny mm-hmm. and then he wouldn't be finding a beat. And he, and he would immediately go from happy go lucky Robin to like completely frustrated and not just like a, a comedian or a writer that can't find his moment mm-hmm. and is frustrated with that more right. like just Robin completely fucking goes away right for like just brief moments you're like oh shit he's not just like upset because he can't find this beat or he's struggling with it something just changed it's I think in him I think it's like watching if you watch uh, like when you watch a comedy special mm-hmm. That routine has been worked for over and over a, and over. like a year. Yeah. Like the the comedian I know best is probably nowadays would probably be Joe Rogan, and mm-hmm. his his thing is he tours a set for a year before he records. Yeah. If you watch early YouTube videos of a comedian right Bombing. after that, yeah, and you can watch them working on stage, which is weird because when it's all polished, it's funny, it rocks. But Clips, when, yeah. When you watch him in the little clubs, like what do you the my favorite thing to do is when a special drops, about a month later hit YouTube and try and find videos of them because they're now they're doing the new stuff. Yeah. They're working on the next set. And you Makes can sense. you can see a joke fall flat and they'll like take a second and be like they're making notes. They're like yep. all right, that didn't work. <laughs> and Strike that one, rework that one. They'll like walk and they'll like okay, okay. And then they'll hit the next bit. But I think in a weird way, like comedy wasn't just work for Robin Williams. It was like, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I, you know, the, the way you're describing it, it, it sounds like, like it his, was like part of him. Yes. So and when you couldn't separate the two, it there's, was, yeah, it wasn't a mistake that he was a was, comedian. And, and right. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's like Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh God. Oh, I was <laughs> seeing him at interlock and with Martin short in a couple of weeks. Oh my God. Shit. Anyways. So, Seeing my some of my favorite parts of this movie are watching Robin Williams doing the not because they're funny, but also there are moments where he is he will say a bit during his radio broadcasts and you can see him laugh yeah. for real because yeah. he just those are my favorite moments. He yeah. just found it. There's a bit where he starts doing the voice of I think it's the military the intelligence military. guy. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really hard to find yeah, the enemy. enemy. <laughs> we, we go there. Are you the enemy? And they say no. We shoot. They say yes. We shoot you, them. <laughs> my favorite one. But you can see him laugh when he says it. he's like, yeah. I've got uh, I've got the guy from uh, one of the guys from military yeah, intelligence yeah. here, and he he is genuinely smiling because yes. he's like. This, this is, is the one. This is the He's funny like, one. Yeah. I just hit a funny one. This and is and watching this, I watched this again uh, with my sister and her boyfriend, and of course Danielle. Right. Damn, I. <laughs> sorry. And, 
when he goes, um, <laughs> it's hard to find a Vietnamese guy named Charlie. Charlie. They're all named like Win and Young Jack. Mao, go down. So fucking funny, dude. That moment was when everyone, because there were chuckles here and there and whatnot, right. but it was it was that military intelligence guy. Everyone in the room lost see, their shit. Yeah, you could see the like, other actors like legitimately yeah. losing their minds. Yeah. <laughs> the military <laughs> intelligence like, the guy fuck? is so funny. Oh my god! But I'm sorry, I ran no, over you to right. get to the joke because it was so. Hilarious. No, it's great. No, I was saying like those moments are the ones that that are. So precious, yeah. I think it's like if you go back and you like the the first couple of things are, are really funny, but it's those moments when they found it and they kept it in. And he's almost looking at Barry sometimes just off camera when he's laughing. Like right. this is the and one. And there's so many other people in the room that you, it makes he sense. He can ostensibly be because he could at. be looking at Dan the man or right. whoever exactly. So if but that even makes it feel more real too. Because if you were if you were that comedian, if you were Adrian and you're sitting there and you're trying you'd to find, then you feedback. found it. You're like, oh my god, this is the one, right? Right. This is the one, right? And you'd be since you since your room is all of Vietnam, you have to read the room you're in. Like, is this mm-hmm. working for these guys? Because these is are it all working for the guys in the field too, right? Because and all, this is his audience too. These guys yeah. aren't like generals. These aren't brass. These are right. just working working stiffs. Because remember, there's there's even a bit where that he's. I think it's when the James Brown song is playing and he turns to the censorship twins. Oh, and he's like, hey guys, come and on. And then he's like, he's draw, trying to draw them in, but they are part of that brass world. They're the censors. They're yep. the they're by the book rule guys and they don't buy into it. So I think that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. The room that he plays to are the... Are the both sides of the... Right. He's he's playing equation. to the privates, basically, yep. you know? And when he turns around and tries to play to the brass, you get that pushback. Yep. It's, I, I, I thought that. that was really cool, but your bit, your not your bit, your, the, your note about the serious moments where he... I couldn't find the word for it, so I wrote a bunch mm-hmm. down. I no, wrote down sadness, exasperation, concern, but I think the best one that I came up with was there are moments where he looks weary. Yeah, tired. Weary. Do you Not tired, weary. Weary. Do you remember yeah. when he first meets uh, Trin's family? Mm-hmm. Not not the first time, but when he, goes to, when he goes to visit them in the village and they're sitting down to eat. They're eating the baby and he's doing the, the a, bit with the, with the pot lid. There's a beautiful moment. You've seen the movie 30 times, so I'm yeah. sure you'll remember it. But the, the, the cinematography changes. We go away from the wides because we, we were shooting like fairly wide to see the village and then we yep. were looking at like medium wides to see the huts and stuff. But when they're sitting down, we switch to hand cam again and we stay in like not a close up, but like a medium close up. You feel like the cameraman is sitting there like you we're on the same. It, it feels level like sitting a, there with. The, yeah, it, it it's a it's a, a stylistic choice that really brings a lot of intimacy. Mm-hmm. We we don't feel like we're watching a movie anymore. We feel like we're sort of eavesdropping on a moment. Yeah. And or like, you know, like like watching watching something like candid. It looks like a candid candid shots. And there's a moment right when the baby starts. Well, Robin Williams, first of all, is looking around, not understanding anything that's happening because it's all being spoken in Vietnamese. So he's looking around and he looks kind of like subdued and out of his element, a little bit uncomfortable. And then when the baby starts crying, he knows what he has to do. But before he starts the 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 bit that he's the bit that he does. There's a look on his face that is so weary. We see it again later when mm-hmm. he's in the Jeep and he has to entertain the troops. When he's in the moment, 
Oh, we'll talk about it. Oh, fuck. When, when he's in the moment, he's on fire, he's yes. rolling, he loves it. But in the moments before and in that particular scene with the soldiers later, after. after, but with the baby, there's a moment where he's like, he looks like, oh, please, if you just don't cry, I won't have to be the clown. Please don't make... Okay, hey, here's a pot lid. And he looks so weary and I've never seen care like that. Like the like the He's being tender about it and cautious about it and like he's testing the waters on the whole thing too it, with that bit. Like it's I think it's some of that, but I also think part of it is I think part of it is like it's like a man who carries comedy like a stone on his back and he set it down for a second and he doesn't want to pick it back up again right, right. now. But, it's too heavy. But he's being called to because of because the, the baby's crying yeah. and he doesn't want the baby to cry. So I wrote down the scene where the baby is confused and crying and Robin Williams makes him laugh. Um, we are the the re, like we are that baby, you know that baby is us and Robin Williams has while he was alive that's what he did that's for us did. is when we were confused and scared and even now like. I will go back and watch uh, usually the really funny ones because, ro- like I said, Robin Williams movies they've got fangs sometimes. Yeah, Patch Adams. Fuck yeah. Um, but like, you know, like if I'm ever feeling like shitty and oh man, I don't know, like Mrs. Doubtfire Absolutely. never fails to make me smile. That is an amazing. He's and you, I have like several of his comedy albums on iTunes and or on my iPod, and I'll just spin that. He's yep. there's something there's some sort of like weird warmth. To him, there's a te- the temper of his voice is there's something very not soothing about it, but he's got a unique quality. Right, about it, him. it's like being mesmerized mm-hmm. into, but you're laughing at the same time. It's right. not like a hypnotic like, No, no, no. But it's it's like mesmerism. Like any care or worry that you have, there's been one man in history. There may be more, but like for me there's one man in history who can without fail strip away my care and worry with by making me laugh and that's Robin Williams that's awesome yeah so I mean that that scene for me I I felt you know and obviously he was he's alive at the time right but knowing now like how his life would end and what life after him would be like um seeing that moment where we can you see Robin Williams without the makeup the clown makeup mm-hmm. on where he's like oh god okay look I, he said it like in the jeep when he's like guys it's it's too hot for it. it's don't too hot for radio yeah. shit you get and he the really sense, doesn't want to he's dreading it you're like that's that also is robin williams <laughs> yep. you know like in the in the movie you're like oh it's that's part of the character but that's genuine yeah you know it's like there's a there's a I think we maybe talked about it no we I don't think we talked about it on the show but in one of his comedy specials called Reality what a concept someone in the crowd it's during the Mork and Mindy run someone in the crowd goes Nanu Nanu do Mork and he is in the middle of a bit and he sidelines out of the bit and he goes nope I'm I'm not gonna do Mork for you guys that's what I do on TV I come here to do my other thing and you can hear irritation in his yep. voice. It's a tiny bit of a hilarious long stand-up set, but you can hear it's almost like it's a moment of like, guys, please, I'm not good. I can't just be your dancing monkey. Like yeah. I gotta. I'm doing another thing right now. Okay, let's all just everyone just let's just, be. Let's, let mm. me do what I'm gonna do. Okay, like and you can you see that in here too when he's like he's you know cry, when he. It's too hot. Come on, guys. It's it's too hot for radio. Too shit, hot for radio. Okay? Yeah. And they're like, how do we know? You know. And then once I he, know it's really you. Once he gets in the bit, but like, 
you get that sense that maybe that was him him as the person too where every time can you imagine what it would be like there's a fucking moment earlier in the movie when the funny guy when the guy comes out and he's like ah you're hilarious can you say something funny right this moment and oh he goes, yeah he's like i doubt it i doubt it it's like ah, and the guy goes, great. can you imagine if that was your life Say something funny. Say something funny. Say something funny. Yeah, like oh my god, it's Robin Williams. And the second you see him, what do you, ex- you, what, you, you expect? Him to you be expect funny. him to be funny and charming. You want and him on. to be the genie. Can you imagine being on all the time? I'm not. I and, can't imagine being on for more than like an hour and a how half. That, <laughs> <laughs> but how that would wear on you? Yeah, because you're constantly having to pull from that place of, you know, it's draining. Right. Right. And, and you're not you're not you. Oh my God! What's Can you imagine not not having a you, just having what people have in their heads? You, the, the, what you mean to them, and if you are not that thing, they're disappointed. Well, that's like the life of. So I have a an interesting example of that. I went to see Nick Offerman. He was uh, doing a stand up show down in Big Rapids. Okay, Nick Offerman from, from Parks and Rec. Uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. he plays Ron Swanson. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example of that. Everyone sees Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson. Right. You can't separate the two. During his... He's a hilarious comedian, by the way. Just Nick Offerman being Nick Offerman. But he plays uh, like ukulele and he does like music as a part of his shtick. Mm -hmm. But he has a song that he does called I Am Not Ron Swanson. (laughs) But it's really fucking funny. But it also digs too. You're like, oh shit. He deals with that all the time and part of me is like this is the world's smallest violin playing for a rich and famous person who right. has to deal with that but at the same time they're still human and have you know feelings and shit they deal with but feelings that, and shit <laughs> but like you know yeah, like, look, they're like, like feelings and I shit I guess they're like human right and whatever like, I don't probably know. they get sad but make me laugh <laughs> make me laugh monkey <laughs> but that was like that yeah he's he gets that all the time and, and to the point where halfway through his show he has a whole song about I am not fucking Ron Swanson. I'm Nick Offerman. Go fuck yourself. Right. <laughs> That's uh, I, recently. I just I just discovered. I hate to say it, but I just discovered Anthony Bourdain after he died. After? Because when he died, I saw all these pictures of people that I admired and, and really respect and am fascinated by, and I'm crazy fans of lamenting his loss. And I was like, yeah, oh, what who, the is fuck? This? Yeah. who is this guy? So I went and started watching Parts Unknown and just, you know, oh my God, I wish I'd fucking known. You're so, oh my, he's mm-hmm. so amazing. He's so amazing. But there was a, a really interesting piece written about people that, that it was something about like this, this recent spate of, uh, they called it like middle-aged male suicide, like Chris Cornell and mm-hmm. Chester from, um, uh, oh shit. Uh, Lincoln, uh, yep. Lincoln Park, and uh, and Anthony Bourdain, and this person. It's, it was written by a psychiatrist, and they were basically like, "Look, all of these people seem to have the life you want. They're famous. They're rich. They're rock stars. Anthony Bourdain travels to exotic locales, the eats the best food ever, meets the locals. He's seen incredible things, and he goes. But the thing to remember is, when you're watching them." They're doing that thing and you go home and you have the rock star them in their head. But when they go home, they have Anthony Bourdain. All they have is themselves. And if there's something wrong there, they've got all that time alone. And he's like, they're not who you imagine them to be all the time. They are people and they are themselves. And when they're not up there dancing on stage for you or hit strumming power chords or traveling Mm -hmm. the world, they're alone with their thoughts. Yeah. And if those and if those thoughts are suicidal, then. 
they're no different than you and I. And I, that really put it into perspective for me because I, the first time I remember being stunned by a suicide was Robin Williams. Because it came like out of the blue, like. I was four when Kurt Cobain killed himself, mm-hmm. and when you look into that, you're like, oh yeah, I mean, all these lyrics about depression, he was a heroin addict, like, he he hated fame, like, okay, this guy I understand, but when Robin Williams killed himself, like, I, when Bird, I think Bird texted me while we were driving, me and my brother were driving out to camp, yeah. and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Mrs. Doubtfire killed I thought himself? it was Miss, I thought it was, um, like, misreported. Misreported, I thought, well, maybe it had to be a heart attack or car accident or something, that can't be the action, no, it is, Okay. Yeah, and well, I I waited for that too. Actually, for about a day, I waited for this to be a celebrity death hoax. Yeah, where I was like, oh, this was just a fucked up thing Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. Like when David Bowie died, I was like, that's got to be misreported. Right, and then it wasn't, and you're like, oh wow, David Bowie's not in the world anymore, or like, oh, there will never be another Robin Williams movie. Right, ever. What I I think we can touch on this a little bit too, because I think a lot of people get flack from feeling loss when a celebrity dies like yeah like people post on facebook or instagram like miss you bowie or whatever they'll lament about mm-hmm. it and there's there's a group of people out there that feel like that is not appropriate we should we don't like you why why them. why you, you didn't know them how how dare you be sad for these people when there are people dying yada 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 yeah, exactly it's because they've become part of your human experience in a very big way, in a way that, that a lot of things can't, or a lot of people couldn't. Right. You know, it's it, it's it's like they're, it's, they're far reaching. They reach many many people, and we've all had the same experience. You watch Good Morning Vietnam. I watch Good Morning Vietnam. It's the same movie, and it affects us differently, maybe because of our experience. Right. I th- there's a famous quote. I think it might be a German. But it becomes quote. kind of the collective. It's all part of yeah. Where no two people watch the same movie, but it's also part of the shared human experience. Those that have, like, I don't know. well, no, I, I I totally get what you're saying. It's like all, all if our lives are a, a tapestry, right? Mm-hmm. Woven of a of a hundred different threads. Maybe like okay, my wife Bird. She and I, our thread is like this, like crazy braided directly, you know, like I have a direct connection to her. So when I, if, you know, if I were to lose Bird, that would be a massive loss because that, that, that thread goes through my tap, the tapestry of my life. But also watching Mrs. Doubtfire as a kid and reading Fahrenheit 451 and reading um, The October Country and like the first, the first death of any kind that I remember really feeling was Ray Bradbury. And I'm like, I never knew Ray you know, Bradbury. You, and I'd read four of his... There's never going to be another Ray Bradbury book. There's never... Right. right. So, like, to say, like, well, you didn't know them personally, so you can't actually be grieving. Fuck you. Right, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is my, right this is my story and my life experience. Yeah. And if I'm grieving because I'll never experience again this thing that even tangentially I loved or this thing or person that changed me, even from a distance, like... And who the fuck are you to right. tell me when I can and can't grieve? It's also your own moral, your own mortality, sort of tapping you on the shoulder too. Yeah, there's a there's a great reminding you that life is fragile and brief and brief. There's an amazing quote, and there's two ways to do that. You can despair because mm-hmm. time is so short, and then there, but there's a and that's how I used to. I used to be terrified of death. Like I was fixated on death when I was like 20, 22, 23, where I was like, God, I'm getting so old. I'm 22. Wait till you hit 40. <laughs> there's a, uh, <laughs> did you hear the desperation in my laugh? Yeah, yeah, you sure did. <laughs> the, uh, there's a great Rogan 
interview with Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins is in like his late 50s or something like that, maybe early 60s. Mm-hmm. He's not I don't think he's very old yet, but he says he because he's another one who travels the world and yep. he basically lives life on his terms. And he says he's like Rogan's like you're getting older. Like how do you get up at five o'clock in the morning and record a radio show every week while you're flying around? Like he like when you when you travel like he does he tours like three three hundred days out of the year Jesus. speaking tours and he just like extemporaneously speaks on stage like he just fucking goes. The man is a dynamo. If you've ever watched an interview with him, he has. Energy beyond like not not for his age because he's not even like a human. He's right. like a god. He's got the energy of like a nineteen-year-old on crack. Jesus, but it's focused. It's disciplined, laser-focused energy. And Rogan's like, how do you how do you have that? Like like you're a little bit older than he's a little bit older than Joe Rogan, and Rogan's like fifty-two now. Right. And he's like, how are you? How do you do it? And Henry Rollins goes, every morning I wake up. To my alarm and I think I should go back to sleep And then I hear the reaper's scythe Whistling past my ear Oh shit And he's like alright so how much time How much time do I have left I don't know but I better get up and start fucking using it Fuck dude Can you imagine That is a great quote Hell yeah dude Wow It's uh I just I get chills just saying He's a total badass Let's go back to the beginning of the movie Okay let's do it (laughs) Go through You didn't take notes because you were watching it with your family Yep and you didn't want to be the freak right. who was sitting there with their, their glasses Then their I feel book. like I'm fairly familiar with the, the you movie. Also, yeah, I've had my s- thoughts for the last you're 20 years it. about this movie. Yeah. So right off the bat, the first performance we hear is not Robin Williams. It's it was Dan the Man Levitan. Dan the Man Levitan doing what I think might be the best boring voice performance yes. of all time. And it's like... <laughs> Uh, remember, if your clothes are dry, try to hang them. Hang <laughs> them. Right. He For, keeps clearing his voice and mispronouncing words and having to go back. I and, have that yeah. note too. But when he when he coughs, I was like, it's it's little notes like that, which of course I think maybe the average viewer wouldn't notice. But when you do a show like this, yeah. where you like micro watch, well, because he goes into the red too. When he spikes it, yeah. and he you know like there's a. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he excuses himself. Excuse me. But I love when he <laughs> fucking um, when he mispronounces a word, and then he takes a moment. It's not just like he goes back and fixes it. He takes a moment, like collects himself, and then says, and then it, says again. it again. Right, where he'll just be like, and the and then there's one where there's a typo, and he goes, and that should be um whatever whatever it is. It is yeah. But he's like, uh, he, I think it's personal. And he's uh, personal, like, personnel, personnel. That should be personnel. Right. He's like personal. That should be personnel. <laughs> Are reminded to go to the quarter deck. That's it's such an amazing little. That's that's when I knew because. I was I was waiting for like a fun wacky Robin Williams yeah. movie, but then I'm like, oh, I'm watching a good film too. Yeah, this is also a movie with, and that was that was also the point where I'm starting to be like, oh, maybe it's not Robin Williams and the rest. Maybe other actors can be good too. Yes, and they this can. guy's he fucking kills it. And I love watching the other DJs open up. And they bring their game up a little bit. Right. I'm um, Dan, the man levitating. He gets right. a little bit more of a pep he's, in his step. He's still, like, but he's still, but he's still a that little dry, bit. boring. <laughs> but he's yeah. like, but he's got the, he's kind of shifting in his chair now a little bit. He's got a smile. He's yeah. like winking to Adrian. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it over to me. I am Dan, the, the man, man 
Levitan. <laughs> it's like watching. It's like watching the nerdy kid who's never danced before in his life. But like he finally has a confidence to like. Yeah, like some like one of the cool kids in the leather jacket came over like, and hey, like kid. chucked him on the shoulder and is like, "Why don't you get out there?" And he's like, "Well, I'm well, sure Ooh, I will. Me? Well, all right, let's get out on that floor and dance." <laughs> it's. It's awesome, and it's so subtle too. Yeah, because they don't all turn into Robin Williams. No, they turn into like slightly, slightly elevated versions, versions of, of themselves, yeah. but they stay true to their style. Because we do hear a little bit of the other DJs mm-hmm. and the man Levitan. I want to um, play polkas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Hawk! The old... oh my god, I know in my heart that I'm funny. And he's when like, he's, that you is one dismissed. of my favorite lines. <laughs> One of my favorite. Like I know in my heart that I'm funny, sir. Sir, you are dismissed. Yeah, I know in my heart that I'm funny. You're dismissed. (laughs) But when he when the the guys are all sitting down, he's like, "Then why were why were you laughing when you uh, why were you laughing when you when you were typing 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 this down?" And he goes, "I was was thinking thinking about something else." And after his first stupid ass bit with the oh, French Frenchie? guy, and he turns Lieutenant on the music, Steve, Lieutenant Steve. And, he, and he sits back oh, in his hi, chair. Frenchie. I've never seen it's it's literally the look on your face when you drop a mic. You're like, Boom. yeah, he's got that look. Like, I think you owe me an apology. Yeah, and then and then the guy leans forward and pushes the button and goes, "You're not going to continue with this broadcast, are you, sir?" <laughs> <laughs> Every single person in the booth is like, like you're not the, funny. You're not funny. You're not Please funny. Don't do this. Ask anyone. Ask me. <laughs> ask you're not me. funny. <laughs> <laughs> ask anyone. Ask me. Oh. oh so great. And then when he turns, he's like, something, I don't know, Steve, something lively. <laughs> it is my favorite polka. And you're like, polka? Polka? Was that a joke? And then a polka <laughs> plays. And they do the montage of Vietnam. Over, over a polka, polka. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god! They're actually doing it. They're letting this movie go because that's great. Because oh. you get the Adrian Crow now with the Beach Boys playing, show you, showing you the Polaroids of Vietnam, and they do it. They let it happen. They show you. <laughs> they show you. They show you <laughs> Hawks Vietnam with the polka playing behind. I, I love that. I get the sense. Yeah, and that I like that too. That each DJ kind. When we do see the montages, you do get the sense that. The Vietnam we're seeing is their Vietnam. Yes. In their like in their- this is what it exists like in their head. And that's why I think it's so amazing. After Robin Williams has been has experienced the explosion and seen some shit, the next I think the next montage we see of him is It's a Wonderful World. Yeah. And when he's sitting behind the mic, montage aside, when he's sitting behind the mic, he looks a little bit sorrowful oh very much so yeah it's no longer the the like i feel good and like kids sitting around cleaning their guns and now the montage that we get is a mixture of actual vietnam kids getting executed yep explosions and bombings like now we see what how vietnam has changed in robin williams's head he's still doing his job because he's this he plays the uh it's a wonderful world after he uh, after he meets the soldiers, right? Yeah. The red, uh, the big red one. Yeah, because he said this goes out to, to some boys on the yeah, to boys, and they're heading out to um, Nanchang or yeah. Nanchang or whatever. But he uh, he knows now, like he's he's doing his job. Night train is where they're going. Night train. Yeah. Working on some night moves. Working on some night moves. No, the boys are heading up to night train. Right. So he's he says, uh, you know, he's he's he realizes that he's doing this for them, and he's doing it for them because. The wonderful world, the the world mm-hmm. that they live in, is 
kind of hell. Yeah. So I I think that that's really interesting. And it never occurred to me until you just said it that that the what he's playing and what he's saying is a reflection of how he perceives perceives it. The situation. I, that just sort of blew my mind a little bit too. That's really because Robin Williams though the the Cronauer idea of Vietnam is the is the boy's sunbathing and like. You know, waiting for whatever. Then, when his situation changes, and the song, cho- his perspective and his song choices, the song too. choices change. Yeah, we go it's no from, longer the Beach Boys, right? It's it. There's a little bit of a somber note yeah. now. It's it's still a positive note because he, that's what he's doing is he's lifting them up, lifting them up. Yeah. But there's a there's a touch of uh, there's a touch of um, melancholy. Yeah. But when to go back to when Hawk is does his like tragic DJ horrible. <laughs> You're not gonna continue this French project. Frenchy. Um, there's when they're reading his complaints, the eleven thousand complaints that they get, and they're like, "I've taken eleven thousand calls today," and they're all shitty. But when when Forrest Whitaker, I'm almost positive that when Forrest Whitaker reads that letter, they probably had like. 20 letters stacked up and they all and said something they were all different. different yeah and he just read them because you can see him laugh for real <laughs> yes. when he grabs that and he goes uh when he's he's like hot like hawk fucking sucks the big one and he looks up at the general and goes that's a direct quote sir that's a direct quote sir, he's right. swearing and then he picks up a letter and he goes look at this hawk sucks the sweat off a dead man's balls i think and he goes <laughs> after he says it he goes sir I don't even know what that means, but I think it's generally negative. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think it's generally negative. <laughs> Bird, Bird wasn't watching, but she was walking around and when Whitaker sucks the sweat off a dead, dead man's, man's balls. balls, she froze in the living room and like looked at the screen. She's like, what does that mean? Does that mean? I'm like, I don't know, but isn't it for the garlic doesn't know. Either. Garlic doesn't know either. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, like Hawk has so many excellent moments where you get that, the straight man function of, he doesn't get the joke when the joke right. is on him. I would like to leave the room now. I think it's one of my favorite moments <laughs> when he's getting fucking <laughs> busting his move. ballsy won't move. He's like, I would like to leave, leave the, the room, room now. now. And the guy turns around. <laughs> but what I like about the way that Hawk the actor who plays Hawk pl- uh, plays straight man. Oh, Bruno Kirby. Yeah, and yeah. the also the way that it's he's written is not only does he not get the joke, but he reinforces the joke with his yes. personality. Like when he walks up to Whitaker, Forrest Whitaker, or to Garlic at the one point, and he goes, "I need you to collate all of these sheets." And Whit- he's like, "There's not a problem with that, is there, young man?" And Whitaker goes, "No, oh, I, I live to, to collate. collate." And then Hawk goes. Good. And there's the perfect amount of a pause. It is the most perfect dramatic pause I think I've seen since Rocky Horror Picture Show. But he goes, good. So do I. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's totally serious. And he's almost a little bit like, yeah, I'm like, so do I. It's almost like, like oh, there's someone else someone out there else who loves to collate. to collate. And you're just like, Jesus. Fuck. Like completely sincere. About it. It's so funny. The, his his performance, he how many times do you think he just lost lost it? All the time. There's got to be can't like even imagine. There's got to be like hundreds of takes of him just not being able to keep a straight mm-hmm. face because his dialogue. Especially is so when you have the stupid. the scenes with all of them together, like just post broadcast when they're all just kind of hanging out, smoking right. cigarettes. Like the VP VIP that thing. I'm sure. How the fuck do you get through that? There's no way. That, there's no way. There's no there's way. No way. Uh, and Bruno, have you seen um, uh, 
Oh my <laughs> God! This Curly's Gold is the second one. Um, City Slickers. Uh-uh. He's one of the three. It's Daniel Stern, Billy Crystal, and Bruno Kirby that go out on like the the soul searching. They go out to a dude ranch and mm-hmm. drive cattle and shit. He's fantastic in that too. So same kind of character, or does no? He this get is to... more like he's like they, they all sort of like turn forty together at the same time, and they decide to go and like you know see if they can be men and and do you know gotcha. put, run cattle with this dude ranch and. The when we're first introduced to Robin Williams and he gets off the there's there's a Patch Adams moment in this when he gets off the plane and he's not he's just wearing like he's wearing Grecian yeah just like clothing. Grecian like it's like like half toga type yep. deal where he's just like walking around and like super his, cash super as, cozy he's, sandals, he's in sandals. Yep. oh yeah he looks he looks as chill as can be um there's a couple of jokes because it is 1988 there's a mm-hmm. couple of jokes in here that don't date very well. Um, there's a couple of jokes in here that I think like read as fairly homophobic yeah. nowadays. Oh, for sure. And there's one of the first jokes, the one of the first truly funny jokes in the movie. There's some like early stuff where he's like where uh, garlic the double starts twice, the car yeah. and um, but when they're driving through downtown, are they in Da Nang or near Da Nang? Yeah. When he goes, uh, when he calls that Vietnamese woman a dragon lady. Yes. That's a little interesting but then there's a hilarious joke that follows it up when he sees another one another one, one dressed the same he's the like prob- oh they're really fast the problem is is the joke hinges on the fact that they all look the same to him yes so you're like ooh, ooh. so this is a bit of racist humor yes but i i'm you know what i will i'll i'll say it you gotta own your opinions i think in some weird way because it's robin williams saying it and because of the it sounds harmlessness of his personality. Yeah. He, he is, there's from no places. malice. No. There's no malice in him at all. It, it kind of slides. Yeah. It, it there was, it wasn't a bit where I was like, Jesus, I was like, okay. okay. Like it's the edge and it's the time. And since he is utterly unmalicious, I think the joke rides even to this day. And actually the, the character, how'd you uh, get ahead of us? She, how'd you get out so fast? She Speed says, up, check her stamina. <laughs> Come she on. said, "Thank you for being kind." Yeah. The, so that's that's who he is. That's who Robin is. And that's who, right. But <laughs> check her stamina. Check her stamina. See if she can do it again. But there's a uh, there's a there's a joke later that kind of toes the line between between racism and like defending against racism. It's when they go into Wa, Mr. Jimmy Wa, Waz, Jimmy, yeah. when they go into Jimmy Wa's bar, and the two army guys come over. And it's like, who's and the, the gook at the table? Who who brought the gook? Right. And you're like, well, that, but that is overt racism. Right. Like, that's the it's point. It's intended to be, the right. The point is that that is racist because Robin Williams stands up and he's like, look, I, I brought him in here and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, this is a GI bar and we don't want gooks here. And you're like, okay, so Robin Williams diffuses it with a... It's a weird joke. It's a weird joke that lives in a gray area. And it would I don't think it would... It might fly today, but I don't think so. When he goes, "Come on, guys! If you get rid of the gooks, you got to get rid of the spick swaps, kikes." And he goes through and this. You'd have nothing left but a bunch. You'd of have nothing dumb left but a, but, but a bunch of but a bunch of dumb muscle bound rednecks. And what fun would that be? So he goes through. He uses their language, their that the racism yep. to diffuse and insult them. Yeah. That joke when I when I read it, it's in even in 2018. That's really smart writing. It's very smart writing. That's a sharp joke. And it's, again, it's comedy with 
I don't want to say with balls because that's now that's kind of a misogynistic term now, but that it's it's got guts. Yeah, that's comedy that's got a got a fist behind it. You know, like there's there's weight there, and there's a lot of truth to it too. You kick all the diversity out. What do you have? What do you have left? Born born wolf. Exactly. Oh my god! (laughs) I've never seen a man so tall with so many muscles, with no penis. I love the way I love the physical comedy. He headbutts that guy and then headbutts the other guy in the chest. chest. (laughs) Fuck. Fuck. And he gets punched. Uh, Um, You're not the day. But uh, yeah, it was it was a delight to see the Robin Williams improv. Yeah. Where you get that. His style of humor is quick shots, quick pops. These like little like bam, 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 bam. And whether it lands or not, he's right past it. He's right past it. But also seeing like. Well-written jokes too Like I like I love that joke There's one later on I have a note about it but I can't remember what it is Off the top of my head But Man Just uh, <laughs> Some of the jokes that um, I, I don't know if they're Technically jokes But uh, Sergeant Major Dickerson Dick Dickerson the Old Dick Dickerson When he Some of the shit that he says To Robin Williams is hilariously yeah. funny Like when he says oh, It's dark as fuck But when he's like If you mess with me I'll burn you so bad You'll wish you died as a child Yes Dude, that's, that's early just, that's too That's so, one of the first things He says to him It's in their first meeting He's like then, That's uh, <laughs> uh, You gotta be Air Force I can tell by the uniform And he's wearing the fucking Or I can tell by the hat I can tell by the hat Because yeah. the rest of the uniforms the uniform, Yeah and then he's like, he's like uh, you fuck with me. He's like, what are you wearing? And he's like, uh, it's, I can't remember what he says. It's like, he's like, it's bohemian camouflage. If I'm in a group of like scummy unwashed masses, you blend right in. Right. And that joke doesn't fly at all with Dickerson. But when, when Dickerson says you'll wish you died as a child. Danielle went, oh shit. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. It's like, <laughs> you'll wish you died as a child. It's that character. I feel like that's there are hallmarks of movies about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to Full Metal Jacket oh, where we have like Dickerson is in a in a way he's our early army. army character. Yeah. And I think that there's something that we like about those characters. Absolutely. What's weird is when there's you a dark twisted humor to them. Yeah, because when you watch that, the famous scene from Full Metal Jacket when Arlie Army's going around and just barking at the men and stuff. Um, it's it's funny. The stuff he's saying is so raw and so abrasive that it's funny. But then he, you know, are you know, like he when he the, like choke yourself, choke yourself. Not is with your dark. hand, not nuts with mine. Like. That is dark as shit. He almost chokes him out. The other guy comes over, um, you know, like the uh, did your. I mean, there's funny jokes in there. Like, did your parents have any children that lived? Like, right. that's yes. that's funny. But then you get the like the guy from Texas. When he goes, only steers and queers come from Texas. Are you a Peter Puffer? Are you a faggot? Do you suck dicks? Like, right. to hit it again and again and again and again like that. And yet that scene remains iconic. Right. And nobody takes takes umbrage with it because of the nature of the Arlie Ermy character. Right. That's who he is. There's a weird authenticity. An uncomfortable... It's an authenticity that lives in a very uncomfortable space. But I think Dickerson in the same, is, is in that same category. Because, I mean, up until the very end when he basically orders Robin Williams' death, which backfires. But when I, oh my God, when I saw that scene. Because he's colluding with the enemy and and known terrorists. Yeah, but like in a weird way when he's, when he's, uh, when Robin Williams is 
trying to go out and do the interviews and he calls and he's like hold on oh that yeah yeah, yeah when he's yeah. like how do you get there what road and they're like well this road and he's like is that road safe and they're like no nope, that's in the hands of the enemy yeah. that's super don't ever send anyone down that and he's like all right cool hangs up and he goes give him a day pass and you're like you want, he's, you, want you just you just ordered him to be yeah. killed to solve your problem what in the fuck is wrong with you like i was pissed a military person like a, a, another yeah an airman like, Usually I don't get sucked into And garlic movies. who would be driving him as well So Also two killed people. Yeah two people killed Because he would have to know that it would be you him driver. And, the, and the driver Right it would be him and a driver So he's basically just like well to get rid of my problem Fuck it I'll kill two people Like I very I don't I, There's movies that I like get swept up in But I don't get like emotionally I'll get like teary because like I'll see something But I don't get pissed very often watching a movie And I got mad as shit when I heard mm-hmm. When I saw that I like got legitimately mad I yelled at the screen like, Fuck you I got I yelled at the screen yeah. I never yelled at the screen Carl It felt like <laughs> felt like a weird break like from reality break. <laughs> I was like wait hold on <laughs> Wait is this Kay. game on 88 Let's reframe That's this right. for the show this actor is doing a phenomenal job yes. because boy did he make me hate him yeah and also that's I mean you know part that's of it's a, the writing but yeah the uh we already talked about the so what did you think about because there's there's cultural humor in here mm-hmm. that to me is just funny you know what I mean yeah like when he when they go and see the movie <laughs> Oh, and beach it's blanket sub- bingo, and, and it's, it's subtitled, subtitled in three French. different languages. It's it's French, English? Vietnamese, and English. Right, and they're speaking. They something. sing in English, but yeah, speak speaking, in Vietnamese because yeah. they didn't redub the songs. They just let the America the English songs. That's right. Play. Yes. And then the next scene we see, there's subtitles over half the screen, and they're speaking Vietnamese again. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is. And then and everyone Everyone's in the theater is sitting in utter silence because they don't get it. They're like, yeah, it's it's the world that they're watching is so foreign to them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm and always it's a, and it's a beach blanket movie. It's fucking not right. good anyway. No, it's <laughs> unless you're watching the pom pom girls. Pom pom girls is great. But uh, I like when I also like the fact that when he it's when Trin's brother brings him to that uh, that like soup place. Oh, to try the... That's a very real moment. Yeah. I love that. When he's like, you try, you don't trust me? You don't trust me, you try it. I, yeah. You want to get with my sister? You you trust me. Like, try, try the soup. Right. And he's like, what is this, fish balls? It's fish ball soup. <laughs> fish, fish balls. Fish ball soup. And then when he goes, uh, <laughs> when he goes, look, I trust you. I just can't eat anything that looks like a cesspool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he takes a bite and spits it off, like you... Watching that, like it's either the greatest spit take, like fake, of or all time. they put they ghost put, pepper. They shit put in there, the yeah. spiciest because Robin Williams looks like he's dying. Yeah, he's like, "There's a fire in my mouth," literally. Well, when he's when he spits it out, and he goes, "This this stuff's burning the hair off my fucking feet." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the old lady, the the way the old lady's laughing, it's like she knows that she the knows. Americans can't hang yep. with this kind of heat. I don't know. Um, there's. Like that, the you know, like making fun of the food, that all felt fine to me. Mm-hmm. Mr. I love Mr. Wah. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Jimmy like Wah's as a kid, especially <laughs> Jimmy. Oh, Earl, Earl. He calls everyone Earl. Hey, Earl. Hey, Earl. Hey, Earl. <laughs> you know, fight no more. Mouthy, hi. Yeah. <laughs> you get sick, go to the hospital, come back, get free salad. We get you free salad. <laughs> that sounds fair. That sounds, yeah, that, sounds like, that sounds fair. That sounds fair. 
<laughs> there's formaldehyde in the beer. Yeah. But when he go, when he goes over to Jimmy Wah and Jimmy Wah shows him the guy's boots, and he's, oh, like, he's like, look at his ankle and the way it goes into his boots. <laughs> and he goes, Robin Williams turns and he goes, you know, you're a sick, sick man. Jimmy Wah goes, oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs and walks away. His laugh is killer. I, dude, Jimmy Wah is one of the... That's a nice green suit, Jimmy. All right, thank you. Got it in Hong Kong. Home of fancy green suits. Home of fancy, gre- shiny green suits. Shiny green Home suit. of shiny green suits. <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> he wants a naked picture of fucking some, some famous like 1950s Hollywood actor. Yeah, and the, how to how is it coming with the pictures? Not good, Not Jimmy. Good. It looked good to me. <laughs> look good to me, dude. He's so funny. Yes. The that character, the, it could have been like there. It could have been um, like what's his name? The guy from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh uh, yeah, uh, it could have been uh, uh, Pink Panther. Um, oh, I don't know what just happened to you. I don't know. Peter Sellers. Yeah, exactly. It could My have, brain was filtering. It could, too many tabs open. It could have been that. It yeah. could have turned into like the over-the-top caricature parody, the 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 offensive Orientalism. But it, he's so quirky, but so uniquely mm-hmm. himself. He's he's like a he's not a pastiche no. of he's he is not you know capital O Orientalism. Right. He's an eccentric character who's a real person. Yeah. Like it's that it's that com- the comedic thing. He owns thing. the GI bar, man, and he's fucking that, a. Yeah, and he's, he's a little light in the loafers, right? He's, yeah. he's wheeling and dealing and moving around, and his all of his bits are so funny. And I think part of part of what makes him funny, funny and still acceptable, is none of the jokes are at his expense nope. because he's in on all of them. Yep. He's in on the joke, and he, in some weird way, is just as amused at these people oh, that he's, he's loving watching. it. He, yeah, he loves having a GI bar and being the place <laughs> where. You know, he can get hopefully naked pictures of of some American some American actor that I right. don't remember, or you know, where he can stare at like the fine way that a GI's oh, ankle tucks oh into his boot. That bit is so funny. That there was there's another there's another moment that happens. I think the second time we go into the GI bar, right before the big bar fight, mm-hmm. and it's I, I called it the token Vietnamese prostitute scene. Oh, yeah. When you're shooting, it feels like anytime you shoot a movie about the Vietnam War. You have to do the prostitute There's bit. the prostitute bit where you have soldiers buying, you know, paying for sex. And then the other bit you need to have, which is, is amazing, is you need to have aerial photography of helicopters over the jungle. Yeah. I feel like Flying every... formation. I feel like if if... If every cinematographer like looked deep into their heart, they all want to shoot a helicopter airlifting people out of a jungle right. because fucking a something about watching aerial footage of Vietnam era helicopters is so it touches some part of my brain that I, I couldn't even describe. Right. Well, every time I see it, I'm just like, mm, there it is. Right. There's the there's shot. That there's something. There's something about it that just it. The apocalypse now shot of the 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 helicopters in formation coming towards camera with the sunset. With in the, the sunset back. behind. Fuck me. Yeah, that's Ugh. that's killer. There's that one. Um, the scene from Platoon. Yeah. The aerial photography of of Platoon watching the helicopters. Predator. In a stupid way. Even Tropic Thunder no. nails. Well, they they they're doing a send up in a lot of ways, like, right? But it's it's a there's a love there. Yes. Because again, I feel I swear to God, I feel like the cinematographer was like, wait, 
This is my moment. Holy shit. Oh my god, I get to shoot I get to shoot helicopters in Vietnam. I was doing a stupid Ben Stiller comedy. I get to do the helicopter thing. I get to do the helicopter thing. Mom, mom, mom. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, guess what? I get to do the helicopter thing. I thought you were working on a Ben Stiller comedy. It's I the, am. It's about the Vietnam, about the Vietnam War. War. Kinda, not really. Kinda, not really. But there's helicopters. Holy shit. Oh, dude. But um, back to the the okay with the when the with the scene with the prostitutes, and Robin Williams holds up the money and goes, "Ladies, there's a moment in another. You ever you've seen? I'm, you, we've talked about it before. Fear and Loathing in Las yes. Vegas. There's a moment. That movie is a romp. Ex- until they go to the diner. You know exactly <laughs> yeah. the same I'm talking about. Flips. We, they're in the diner. They're sitting there. And Benicio del Toro pulls out a knife and starts threatening the waitress. And it gets so fucking dark for like 30 seconds. It's the, the scene is a minute tops and then they're out and we get kind of back into the wackiness. But there's no other moment in that movie at all where you get real, where you get real and realize that like these aren't good men necessarily. Right. These are we're probably watching bad men actually and it it that scene is hard to watch yeah like when he pulls the knife and he's t- like you get the sense that he's either going to cut her or he's or like, just lose control of himself finally cuz they've been fucked up on drugs the whole time yes. and he like takes the pie and he's like smushing the pie and just it's so malicious and cruel and violent and dark and then we jump back into the comedy you almost wonder why the scene exists other than to remind you that there are stakes maybe or that in a weird way you're watching not great I like men. it I like I actually like that moment in, in fear and loathing a lot because it grounds the movie mm-hmm. it could have just been a wacky thing but that movie is it pulls like, you back in a little bit it it's like back a, down to earth like hey remember that there it's things like it could happen yeah it's like a it's like a like a like a splinter in the balloon yeah some of the air goes out and you're like oh yeah and you can i like watching the johnny depp character too the um the dr gonzo realize like oh we're this isn't a wacky adventure that was really bad what just happened you see him at the door he looks really upset by what just happened and then he's like but i'm on this train and i can't get off can't get off and he walks out the door that the prostitute scene feels that way yeah it feels really dirty and gross because and i'm like ooh. I, I don't like it, but I think it's important that it's there because you watch it and Robin Williams is the not Robin Williams. Cronauer is the, is one, the one bringing. He has the money. He brings the prostitutes to the table and Trin's brother, whose name I forget. It's something similar to Trin, which mm-hmm. is why I always forget it. But he's uncomfortable with this. He's like uh, and there's a weird there's a it's great. The cinematography looking at the women when they're like, oh, look at those girls. You see their face once, and the rest, the rest of the shots of are of their legs and their or butts. of their butts, yep. right? And that's pretty. There's jokes about it, mm-hmm. where, but the jokes they're being objectified, but intentionally so. It's not like Barry Levinson just said we're gonna show these this is hookers' not, asses. It's, yeah, this isn't the glamour shot. This right. is meant to feel. This is seedy. meant to feel seedy and and gross. The jokes not become gross, no. It in a way, yeah. yeah, because it's it becomes the table turns into. This is a, such a fascinating scene for me because Cronhauer, we've seen like we've already seen his radio thing. Mm-hmm. He's loved. We've seen Robin Williams just firing off one-liners, and he's still making jokes here. But now the jokes aren't like, you know, like I can't find the enemy. It's not like funny voices and stuff. Now it's like that thing where you're at the bar and the guy hey, leans we'll over. We'll get you laid. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, it's drinks on me. For me, it's 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 the thing like you're at the bar and the guy leans over and he's like, "Hey, did you ever hear about the the dumb blonde who sucked a hundred dicks?" And you're like, "Do I? Whoa! 
do I right. really want to hear this joke? It's like it's like that like that wheezing it, it's it, the table becomes a bunch of like panting wolves. Yes. The men all change. You can tell that Trin's brother is uncomfortable. Yes. And Robin Williams he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. No. You doesn't. know, when the guys are like, we could never get those girls over here. He doesn't let that oh, ride. Yeah, He's like, you want to get those girls over here? Check this out. Hey, ladies, come on over. Sit in these guys' laps. Let's, all right. Let's have here a party. We... Now it's a party, yeah. It's weird. It, in, a, in a way, the bar fight becomes redemptive because mm-hmm. we see him stand up, stand up against, for, against yeah. racism and stand up for his new friend. But you can't forget that just a second ago he was calling he over a lot of cash in his hand. and he was calling Vietnamese yeah. prostitutes over to to satisfy the sexual needs of his of his like military buddies. Mm-hmm. And that's it's also the oldest profession. It is the oldest profession, but it's there's something if it had been it's it's not a 2018 interaction with a right. sex yeah, worker. Yeah, yeah. No, you know? Fair enough. No, it is. Yeah, no, it's that's not fair. It's right. very exploitative. It, it's not it's not someone that's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's a there is a there's definitely a space where that doesn't feel dirty. Right. Where that here it does. This definitely does because it feels like um, uh, what is it's called exoticizing or something like that. It's where it's it's mostly a term used in like sexual relationships nowadays where like you're not interested in the person you're interested in their agent. And that is what seems to be happening here. It's very like like oh it's it's Dragon Lady. It's the Dragon Lady thing coming back, coming back in a much seedier, mm-hmm. kind of dark and really exploitative way, where it's not it's not a transaction anymore. It's like it's like sex. Is I the brunt control of a joke. you because I have the money. Very much so. In fact, it's right on the nose because it's like, oh, you want them over here? They're at the bar. These guys. I have the money. Right. Yeah. Now, that's a commodity. That's and a, not big, a big yeah. part of it because they're not in in. Um, in Full Metal Jacket, the scene with the prostitute gets a little weird near the end, but mm-hmm. at the beginning, the women, well, basically the the women with their pimp come over and they are offered to the men. So there's a weird there. It's not a comfortable scene, but there's a little bit of agency. Right. In this one, it's totally mercenary. Yeah, it's like I bet I got more money than the army guys do. Let's get right. them over here, and it's and then they're like a commodity because it's almost like utterly a, a degraded. War, yeah. They're not even people; they're property, and yeah. he's got the money to buy them. Yeah, it's yeah, but it's it's important to talk about too. There's a lot of moments like that in this movie. Biloxi Blues has the best prostitute scene in any military. I've never movie. seen Biloxi Blues. Yeah, anyway, we'll... you've seen so many more movies than I have. No, Polo. that's not true. Um, I there's a in the bar fight scene. There's another uh, this movie. This movie kind of like relit my cinematography bug. I love that. I was waiting for the big romping bar scene, the big bar fight, because nowadays you see it, but you don't. You get the table gets bumped, the bottles fall and shatter, and you see shattered glass and beer. And that image of a broken thing and like liquid stands in for violence. Mm-hmm. And it works. We stay on it for a little while. It's yeah, like 10 and, seconds. Because Robin gets, gets punched, gets thrown down, uh-huh. and then they're like, they jump up. They jump up. He's like, hey guys, anytime. He's like, oh, we're there. We're there. We're there. And when he gets hit, boom, they're then on they their go. feet. Yeah. And then, you know, like it's. I love that moment, by the way. We're there. Because, the, you know, they're not being pussies and not interjecting. Right. He's like, oh, no, we're there. Right. Like we're just. Nothing's happened yet. But yeah, when it we're does. We're waiting. We're there. Got you. Right. I love that moment I, so much. I actually liked that, too. The the we're there. The, yeah. The we're there. The way particular. that he says it. Yep. Like. Because he's he's staring the guy down. He's not looking at Robin. He's looking at the guy. He's right. Like, we're there, right? He's like, it, it's it's not a, it's not like, look, if th- right now this is your thing, yeah. But if you're in trouble, 
we're we're there. We're there. We're there. I yeah, yeah I like that, that too. I really liked the phrasing of it too. It's not like we got your back, you bro. It's, it's not just that. It's a very subtle, very quiet. We're there. There's a weird, not a weird. There's a there's kind of a nice, which is a it's a strange context because the the prostitute scene has just happened. Yes. But there's a weird feeling of like brotherhood mm-hmm. there, which is like you know like maybe we don't even they don't even know him that well at no, that point. It's only been a couple weeks, maybe. But he's. It's and it's also like a it, it's also kind of a joke about the the uh, interplay of the different branches of the military and how they all have <laughs> yes. rivalries. But yeah, it's like it's like you're one of us, you know. That's it's like implied, like yeah. you know, like yeah, you're one of us. It's all right. Th- that's the other implication is it's all right, which I like. Yes, it's it's that's very cool. Um, yeah, the da, da, da. oh the I I thought it was cool. We see the complaints of um, Hawks comedy. Yes. <laughs> Sucks the sweat off a dead man's balls. But um, I like that Robin Williams stuff gets complaints too. It does, yeah. Because that was very... I, I thought that there was... like It's just as relevant today. A comedian that is well-loved getting flack from people who either don't get the humor or people who find the humor objectionable. Or just don't plain like it. Right, exactly. Like, yes, I'm sure that wasn't Bob Hope. Like, that was right. <laughs> just super funny. But um, I, I, it just reminded me of, like, uh, lately, like, within the last five years, I feel like a lot of comedians have been getting kind of, like, assailed for off-color humor. Well, like Louis C.K., Bill Burr, Amy Schumer. Yeah, uh, well, outside of, like, the Louis C.K.'s other issues, yes, a lot of, oh, his, a lot of his humor got, um, you know, he, he was found, a lot of people found him really objectionable. I think it was, I think it was Chris Rock was one of the first instances that I remember, and there's mm. I heard a great defense of it. But basically, there's a it might not be Chris Rock. If I'm if it's not, I'm sorry, Chris Rock. Please start continue to listen to our <laughs> show. Yeah, continue but to support the show. There's a, I think there's a joke he made where he says, and the re, the only reason I had heard of this was Joe Rogan also has taken flack for a lot of his humor. Sure, and he points something out which i think is really important to remember when you're talking about comedy and comedians which there's a there was a bit in one of i think chris rock's sets where he says like if my son was gay i would kill him and then like the whole world fucking blew up and then joe rogan points out he goes in that same set chris rock also said that he would eat through a mile of shit to get to beyonce's ass so so like i think that's an important distinction too because I, I don't know. It's something I run into too, where you'll see it on you know online, Twitter, Facebook, various cesspools. Yes. Where you go online and it's like, well, I don't think that the this sort of thing is ever appropriate. And it's like, well, you know, I think our constitution kind of says that's not your call. Right. Cool to have an opinion, but I think he can keep saying it if he wants. Yep. And it's weird because I thought it was funny. <laughs> You know, like that's I I liked that Robin Williams was getting like he was getting the he, shit too. Yeah, he's getting the shit too. Not everybody likes everything. I thought that was and the brass. Both of his bosses come in and they're like, I find his style of humor extremely objectionable. And the general he's sits like, there. And he's like, I find him damn funny. Yeah, he's like, I thought he was teacup. What you do about nothing? <laughs> there are really two Shakespeare things back to back. Yeah, in a, in a touchstone, in a touchstone picture. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he loves him. Yeah, and in the end too. Yeah. No, uh, never has a white man like the you need a blowjob more than more any white, white man, man in history. history. That That's is funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yep. And it's he understands the politics of it. He's like, yeah, look, he gets it. In this case, you have gone too far, and I'm not going to defend you but, because I can't. But right. when it was just a matter of taste, 
You know, he's not he's not going to the mats to excuse behavior that is genuinely objectionable. But when it's a matter of taste, he's like, look, I like him. And even if I didn't, the men do. Yeah. I like that. He says that too. Yeah, I like like, even that. if I didn't like him, the men do like him. Right. Yeah. It's like it's not. He he says at one point he's like it's not about he's he's like it's not about whether you play polka or not. It's about the men want him back. I want him back. You know. So it's that's the point. It's cool. It's almost in a weird way like a sideways defense of freedom of speech in in a in a like in a sidelong way yeah. where he's like, look, I, he's gotten complaints. Yes, he's done. He's made some mistakes, but. He's extremely popular, and just because you don't like him and have a personal issue with him, that I'm not going to take him off the air for right. that. Like he's he's doing what he's here to do, and it just might not be your kind of thing. And that's okay. We're keeping him out exactly. Of the air. And I'm I'm sure you as a creative person and me as a creative person <laughs> have a little bit of skin in that game, which yeah. is like <laughs> it's like oh, good for you, good Mr. For you. General. Yeah, thank you. Fuck you, Hawk. Yeah, fuck you, Hawk. <laughs> you suck. And oh, then sweat. he breaks your heart a little bit. I know in my heart. I know in my sir. I know in my heart I'm funny. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, <laughs> I know. I know that's humor. I understand. Or oh, the fuck does Dick Dickerson says something about? Yes, I re- I recognize that that is humor. That's humor. I recognize, I recognize that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The both of them do that too. Yes. Like when Hawk goes, "That was a joke." That was a joke. And I goes, get it. I know that's funny. Well, no, in the beginning when he goes, that was a joke, wasn't it? And Robin Williams goes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or he's like, could have been or something like that. Or he's like, I, I don't know I if don't I can know talk to this. I can talk to this guy. This guy. <laughs> that was a joke, right? Maybe. Could have been. That's humor. I recognize. That's that. humor. I recognize that. But if you fuck me, I will burn you so bad you'll <laughs> wish you died as a child. Bad. Come on. That's funny, oh, Carl. It is hilarious. Um. There's other funny bit. There's a. I'm thinking. There's another joke in the vein of like you'd wish you died as a child when he takes over the English class, and he's pushing that one guy. The old guy is like, the, she's stabbing you with knives. She's and stabbing forks. you with knives. There's, I'm waiting to die. There's spoons in your eyes. What do you do? And he goes, I'm waiting to die. And everyone laughs. But in the build up to that scene, like when you take it as its own thing, it's right. funny. But in the build up to that scene, when we're in this like hot, oppressive Vietnamese classroom in like a city that's been like her you know horrifically bombed in an occupying situation there's some there's some lines later on like we're here to help your country there's some lines in here that really Mm -hmm. are meant to provoke some thought yes but that moment when this old guy who is a vietnamese man in vietnam during the vietnam war says i'm waiting to die yeah he doesn't say you know like I guess in that situation I'd be waiting to die or like I suppose I would die in that situation. He right. says he all he says is I'm, I'm waiting, waiting to, to die. die. Take that line out of context. Yep. I mean that's that's heavy shit. It's a hilarious it the joke. Brakes, though. It does. There's there's moments in here where there's a very controlled pumping of the brakes. Mm-hmm. Nothing nothing bumps this movie off the tracks in a good way. Not like oh the movie derails but like you're on the funny train. And then you get the what a wonderful world montage and holy shit does the train just fall over. And you're like this isn't guys it's this is a this is a oh yeah this is this is a movie that's funny set in Vietnam but we're still in Vietnam during the Vietnam War and this is not a funny world. It's It's like those real episodes of MASH. Yes. One of the most brutal things. There's cinematography moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Carl, let me tell you about the yeah. cameras. Oh, yeah, please. No, I love that. There's two moments of cinematography in here, and it, long moments, like several minutes. It's scenes. 
where the cinematography switches gears because a lot of the movie is shot conventionally. You know, we, oh, just your standard setups or like yep, standard yeah. standard standard camera setups. A lot of sh- stuff is shot on sticks. Nothing auteur or like crazy no. going on. Well, but they're storytelling and they're showcasing performance, so they don't want to get flashy. Totally understand. But then there's moments where there's not really dialogue happening, where the cinematographer, where it's his job to tell you a story with what with the lens and the the point of view. The two scenes, the aftermath of Jimmy Wah's bar exploding. It's not just the the chaos of like, oh no, there's people dead. It's the specific angles. We we get we normally when we're shooting this movie, I noticed a lot of the stuff is like head level. You want like eye level shots, right. but not exactly eye level. You want to add a little bit of dynamism. But when we shoot, there's a scene where we see the front like step of Jimmy Waz and there's grime. It's like it's mud and it's wet dirt. And then you realize, because the camera is very low, the camera's a few inches off the ground shooting low angle, you realize two things. One, that everything is wet with blood. Yes. Because you don't notice the color at first because the it's beautifully done. The blood is so close in color to the dirt that it takes a moment to discern that that's kind that's of red. actually red. Mm-hmm. Then you see an airman's hat folded on the ground in the blood. Yeah. That's super raw the way that it's shot is as much the the punch in the gut as the the actual content of what you're seeing yes that was in that was amazing the bloody sandal always sticks out to me the I bloody that's in montage. the wonderful world yeah, montage wonderful world but montage. the bloody sandal yeah. yeah that it's 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 the uh it's the schindler's list moment yep. with the red the, uh, pink, dress. the pink dress yeah. yeah it's the same the same type of thing but dress. it's yeah. a red dress yeah. but um when there's there are camera moves in that aftermath of Jimmy Waz bar that never recur in the film. And what it is is it's rack focuses and it's zooms. We very, very seldom see zooms in this movie at all. But there's a moment where Robin Williams, after he's moved the body and he's looking around and there's nothing for him to do, he sits down and he's just looking at doesn't know what to do there's nothing for him to do he's shocked and stu- he's like shell shocked in that moment and he's sitting on like a truck tire or something yep. and he's looking and the camera stays on him and you it, this is it's so masterfully done it stays on him so long enough that you expect a zoom and then the moment where you would expect the zoom to start passes and a few more seconds pass and then the zoom happens the it's 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 a fast zoom too right it's like yeah it cuts in on his face but the the pacing of it is what i love because you have a rhythm in your head and what the cinematographer's doing is he's he's putting you off kilter constantly the camera starts uh will start shooting past stuff so your 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 view is obstructed there's no dutch tilts which i appreciated there's hand cam stuff there's uh rack focuses where stuff is blurry and then will suddenly be in focus it it's reflecting in the way that the the radio scenes reflect Robert Robin Williams's mind or the DJ's mind, right. the stuttering pace where you're like, and here's where the pan happens. Why didn't it, oh now it happened? You know, like you your brain and His your brain eyes playing catch up with what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 ready for it. You're like, here comes the zoom. The zoom doesn't happen, so you stop expecting the zoom, and then the zoom happens, and you're it's like vertigo. Yeah, it's like a perfect visual representation of vertigo. The cinematography of the the Post Jimmy Waugh explosion is just one of the most subtly masterful things I've ever seen. 
like Roger Deakins is an amazing cinematographer, but his thing is mostly shot composition. He understands the way to to build an image, and then he'll just show you how beautiful his fucking shot composition is. <laughs> this cinematographer, man, he has got he has got the moves down. He's got he's got the pace. He knows what your pulse is doing, and he's playing jazz with it. He's hitting you on the off beats. It's beautiful, beautiful camera work. The other moment that just like oh my god, just. Well, I guess for the sake of chronology, we should jump, we should talk about the scene when he gets kicked off the air. Peter Sova is the name of the director. Silva of, or Sova? S O V A. Peter Sova. Mm-hmm. Well, well, fucking done, Peter Sova. He did Lucky Number Eleven. Well, that makes sense. There you go. Another movie with just such a slick and distinctive visual look. Not that this movie's slick, but very distinctive. Yeah. This movie doesn't look like other films no. the way that it's shot. So the next scene that happens is he goes into the radio station and he pulls the news about the bombing and he's just going to go read it. And then he has this little like, they're like, you can't fucking read this. Blah, blah, blah. Right. They locked, he locks Tweedledean, Tweedledum out. Mm-hmm. He's got blood all over him. Mm-hmm. He just came from. He came from the explosion to the radio station and he goes in there and locks the door and sits down and they're watching him through the window. Watching Robin Williams start jokes and then mm. that Come on, performance. And he can't. He puts his head on the microphone. He's just. You get that little squeal of feedback, too. He can't pull that boulder up again. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. It's too heavy now. I didn't even make that fucking connection, but that's that's the moment. Yeah. We're seeing that moment again. We've seen him struggling progressively harder to get that boulder back up onto his back, get the laughter. Yeah. You know, and this is too heavy this time. Can't do it. I, but he love. I love that he tries. He does try. Elizabeth Damn, Taylor's been try. married for six months. Congratulations, Congratulations Liz. Liz. Ha ha. And you know what? The joke there is almost his. That is the that joke plays with his particular style of comedy because he's got the comedic bag open and he pulls a he's bit and he fired it, but there's no follow up. No. Because he's there's no report. It's like the bottle rocket went up but didn't snap. Yeah, it just yeah, and we're so used to seeing him grab a bit. the The silences after the jokes are what fucks you up because mm-hmm. he There's says no more rapid fire. Right, anymore. He says a joke. He says a joke. He says a joke. He does a voice. He says a joke. But this time he says a joke, and then he's like, "All right, what else? Um, there's a what else do I have? To so uh, the, yeah, uh, the, you know the the, the new m- official pope, and then he puts his head on the mic, and you get that like pink, and then he goes." Officially today in Saigon, nothing, nothing happened. happened. And then he starts going. The Jimmy Waz restaurant did not officially explode. explode. Like, yeah. Oh my god. And then oh my god. The the I've I've really like plugged the cinematography. Sound design gets a major thumbs up. This is amazing. He's rattling and you hear the uh sergeant major screaming cut him turn him off turn him off Mm -hmm. there's chaos and he's rattling the information out as fast as he can because he knows he's what's gonna happen yeah yeah he's got like 30 seconds left and then when they turn flick that switch and every everything goes to zero you hear the needles clicking the side of the they go dink and then it's he's funny robin williams is funny but robin williams is also one of the best actors i've ever seen there's a we'll talk we haven't talked yet about what I think is the best scene in the entire fucking movie, but we will. He when he takes his headphones off and like there's a moment where he doesn't you 
you can see like do I take them on and then he just puts them on his neck and the slowest like push the microphone away from your face and when he puts his hand in his hair and then brings it back to his brow the whole time he's doing this deafening silence you almost never hear silence in a movie nope and they do a slow pan out through the sensors room and it's silent 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 he is broadcasting nothing and he, the defining character of that room has been the rapid fire like i feel good Wah! you know like the it's it's been he blows the mic constantly yeah, he's yeah. always in the red and then we go through the glass again of the sensors room and I've, I listen to this on my badass speakers, and it's not just tick, 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 as the, the news, the news, the news keeps are... happening. If you listen with speakers that have, like, good bass, you can hear the thrumming of the drums turning. Oh, my God. It's super low. It's a super low frequency sound. You can hear the but under it is, like, it's it's so low. It, like, rumbles. And you realize like I, I think it's literally what they're doing is they're they've created like a metaphor that is entirely hinging on sound which is even when he's not broadcasting the world's still going still on happening. the news is still happening and you get this you and since so much of it is censored you're like how much is that? Yeah. this is the it's like it's like the roar of tragedy yeah, and it's been and it's been stopped up it's yeah fucking, that when that because I've, like so I've seen this movie so many times but on this viewing in particular when that scene happened when that camera pulls back and those that that new those new news feed drums are going i got goosebumps and i was like holy shit yeah when you uh, when the, the sound comes back in and it's just the wars the war didn't the wars, stop because the, you stopped the, robin Williams, the engine yeah. of the the war is still going oh it's oh my god it's so crazy they there's another moment of cinematography that it's one of the two big moments that I think like kicks you into the reality of the war and it's the wonderful world montage. There's one particular shot that I think is like one of the most affecting things I've ever seen. And it's when they, they round up the kids, those three kids, Trin's friends. Oh yeah. And they bring him into the hallway and you see them like they're first they're talking to the cops so you're like oh the three kids are talking to the cops and then you see them line up with their backs against the wall like, and you've shit. seen enough movies that you're like no 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 no, no no and then the way that that the, the way the effect is done which is there's no blood and there's no fire it's just du- like dust, dust from the wall it's like wood chips and dust just and smoke just blow all over and the kids fall on the ground and that Rather than get up close and be like, "Look how violent it!" We're across you stay the street. Across the street, we're way away. It's like mm. it's again. It's like that medium wide. We're seeing the world around it, and the atrocity is so normal that it's just a part of the it's scenery. In, it's in part of an alley. The it's such a unique. It's a horrific image, and it's yeah. like again, it really sticks with. I can see it right now, but the way that it's framed and shot is so such an unusual choice for that type of thing. And the the decision we've seen blood, mm-hmm. but the decision to not show any blood is From also a distance, no sound. You don't hear it. No, because it's a wonderful world yeah. is playing. There's no sound. You don't hear it. There's no blood. It and something about all that makes it so wrong that it just sticks in your mind yep. like a sliver. Oh, it's awful. But it's 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 beautiful, beautifully executed. But awful. Yeah, I think in that moment, everyone 
in my viewing circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the, the air went out of the room. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, oh. It's, it's, it's crazy how that montage it's the it's the the fear and loathing de- deflating the balloon yep. moment. Like it's not like the movie has been crazy happy up to this point. Oh anyway, no, of course we've been not. on a downward trend. This isn't this isn't National Lampoon's vacation. It's you know. oh my god, this movie is like it's like the movie in a weird way is a stand-in for Robin Williams because it keeps trying to lift the boulder of comedy, which yeah. is what it's claiming to be. But this the boulder keeps getting more and more tragedy more heavy into it. Things keep getting added to it. It's like, yeah. How it's, could I possibly fucking lift this boulder? Like the movie is like, we okay, all right, we're gonna There's do no, a joke. It's almost like you have the responsibility to do it, or, and or you feel some feel some sort of obligation to the like, so part of him. As much of it is not part of him, but right. like, gets bigger and bigger as more things get added on to it. Right, more as tragedy, more as the movie gets bleaker, the jokes, the jokes don't. The jokes have to work harder to make you laugh. Yeah. And because there's so, only so much that laugh can do, like the, one of my favorite things about this movie was that one of the last jokes in like the movie proper before we hit the denouement doesn't work at all. It utterly fails. And I think it's important that it's included because the situation has gotten so bad that at this point we realize like this isn't funny. Mm-hmm. And it's when Robin Williams chases the kid, chases Trin all through the town. This will not look good on a resume. Yeah, that fucking does not work nope, at all. Nope, it sure doesn't. And when I first watched it, I was like, that was a weird choice. Why did they put that there? Because you're in the middle of like a brutally dramatic scene. Retrospectively, that's a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. Because we've just seen him, We've we just heard what one of the most... Like weirdly relevant and endlessly resonant speeches of all time, which oh, is like from from Tron from Trin, yeah. Or, when he's like, he's like, who is the enemy? This is our country, right? Like you came here. My father is dead. My mother my neighbor is dead. Is my dead. Neighbor he is goes dead. through like this list of just like, and that young man is crying. Crying. That was a great. Holy. Sometimes shit. children actors are not a good choice. He was that, amazing. amazing. But like that speech, which is like. What are you talking about? Yet you're here to help this country. Like all of the like everyone in my life is dead because of you. And I'm we're not I'm not in America attacking you. This is Vietnam. Why are what are you doing here? You come into our country and then call us the enemy in our what are you saying? And it's like it's it's it could be the thesis of every extremist that's been created since you know the word Afghanistan is, is that speech exactly. Those are the words. That is the yeah. That those are the words written in the hearts of like when when they talk about like every time we do a drone strike and we accidentally kill five hundred innocent people or twenty innocent mothers people and fathers and children. Yeah. Right. When you wipe out mothers and fathers, the what and then someone comes by and offers the kid a gun and they're like, hey, look, they killed your mom and dad. Maybe you should fight back. Yeah. Like. It's that that speech is so haunting. Mm-hmm. And then to immediately after it, you know, like we are now in the realist moment of the movie. And Robin Williams goes, you know, I spent six months in Saigon and my best friend turns out to be VC. This isn't going to look good on a resume. And you're just like, mm. yeah, I don't know why we I mean, it's it's good in that moment to see Robin Williams' humor fail. It's an important part of the movie. It's beautiful. And it's still there. He can't let go of it. Yeah. Well, he's... That's his reaction. It's the thing, because when he... 
you know, like, where the fuck are you going? He's he's like rage Robin Williams. He's weary, sad, but it's important to see him at least trying, trying to lift yeah. the rock again. Fuck. Mm-hmm. All right. So. So we're going to put a pin in it right there. But as always, I'm going to post the second uh, bit of the conversation right along with the first. So you can just roll on into episode 22.5 where Carl and I uh, finish our conversation on uh, Good Morning Vietnam. It's Robin Williams month. We knew that this was going to be a, a month of two-part episodes. Um, so yeah, just keep on listening, head on over, and you and we. It, the, there's not too much left. I believe there's about 20 minutes where Carl and I wrap up uh, the, the most powerful scene of the film, which I wanted to have as its own discrete portion of conversation just to, so I can go back and listen to just that bit where we cry like babies. Spoilers. Thank you.